Good morning to everybody. Hare Krishna. All of those of you who are out in cyber world, getting ready to pursue your day's activities, we are very happy that you've chosen to spend a little time with us this morning. I'm Rupa Nagadas, disciple of His His uh, His Holiness Tamal Krishna Goswami Maharaj, grand disciple of His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj. This morning, uh, if you would like to get your copy of the Srimad Bhagavatam out, we're still reading in the first canto. Thank you very much. First canto, first chapter, text number 22. First canto, first chapter, text number 22, Srimad Bhagavatam. I invite you to... If you're at home or if you're in a solitary place somewhere, maybe you're not all the employees have come in at work and maybe you're listening in by internet. Some of you are listening in by radio if you're local and very close to the temple community within a quarter mile. So we're pleased that whatever means you have chosen to join us this morning, we are glad that you're here. And for those of you who are not able to join us this morning, but regularly listen to the archived versions of our classes and who are hearing my voice at this time, I thank you also for uh, tuning in at some time during the day. I quite often do that in the evenings uh, and when I want to listen to a class that I've missed or when I want to hear a class again that I've heard the first time, but it was it was really it was really um, intriguing. So I thought I should listen again. So sometimes I'll listen at night before I take rest, and that's a very pleasant way to end the evening. So before we begin our today's discourse, I would like to invoke the Supreme Lord. So I invite you also to join me in chanting the songs if you know them. If you don't, they're very nice songs that are in the Sanskrit language or sometimes in Bengali, and uh, and so it's it's worth something just to hear the hear the words, even though they might be in a language different from the one that you're familiar with. Jayaradhamadhava Kunjabihari. Jaya Radha Mahadava Kunjabi Hare Jaya Gopi Janna Vallava Rivaradari Jai Gopi Janavallabha Girivaradhari Jashodanandana Brajajana Ranjana 
Jashuranandana Brajajana Ranjana Jamuna Tira Bandachari Paramahamsa Paripijaka Charja Hasto Tarasata Sri Srimadis Divine Grace Avaya Chanaravinda Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharashi Lila Prabhupada Ki Jai Jayom Vishnupada Paramahamsa Paripijaka Charja Hasto Tarasata Sri Srimadis Divine Grace Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Gosami Maharashi Lila Prabhupada Ki Ananta Koti Vaishnavrinda Ki Iskan BBT founder Charja Shila Prabhupada Ki Nama Charja Shila Haridas Thakur Ki Premjago Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasari Gora Bhaktivinda Ki Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gopa Gopinath Shamakun Radakun Giri Govardhana Ki Shri Vrindavanam Ki Shri Maturadam Ki Shri Jagannath Puri Dham Ki, Shri Shivara Kalachanji Dham Ki, Ganga Devi Ki, Jamunamai Ki, Tulsi Devi Ki, Bhakti Devi Ki, Samaveda Bhakta Vrinda Ki, Briyatmatanga Transcendental Book and Prasharam Distribution Ki, Nittai Gaura Premananda, Hari Hari Bo, All Glories to the Assembled Devotees, Hare Krishna, All Glories to the Assembled Devotees. All glories to the Assembled Devotees. All glories, all glories, all glories to Sri Guru and Sri Gauranga. Namon Vishnapadaya Krishna Vastai Bhutale Shimati Bhakti Vedanta Swaminiti Namane Namaste Sarasvati Deve Gaudapati Pachanine Nivishesha Shinavari Vastati Deshatarine Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskritya Naram Chaivanurottamam Devim Sarasatim Yasun Tato Jaya Mudirayat Nasta Prashuva Badreshu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavatyatamashloke Bhakti Bhavidi Nashkiti Nashtiki Grantara Simur Bhagavatam Ki Jai So we're reading once again from Canto 1, te- uh, Chapter 1, Text Number 22. 
We'll read line for line the Sanskrit. I'll read and you can repeat with me, please. Twam na sandasito tatra Dustaram nishtitir shatam Kalim sattva haram pumsam Karnadhara ivarnavam Once again, Twam Nahasandarsito Dhatra Dustaram Nistitir Shatam Kalim Sattva Haram Pumsam Karnadhara Ivarnavam Twamna Sandashito Tatra Dustaram Nistitir Shatam Kalim Sattva Haram Pumsam Karadhara Hivarnavam Word for word and translations. Twam, your goodness, na unto us, sandarsita, meeting, datra, by providence, dustaram, insurmountable, nistitir satam, for those desiring to cross over. Kalim, the age of Kali, Satvam Haram, that which deteriorates the good qualities, Pumsang, of a man, Karnadhara, Captain, Eva, as Arnavan, the ocean. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, Sri Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. We think that we have met your goodness by the will of providence, just so that we may accept you as captain of the ship for those who desire to cross the difficult ocean of Kali 
which deteriorates all the good qualities of a human being. So repeat with me. We think that we have met your goodness by the will of providence, just so that we may accept you as the captain of the ship. For those who desire to cross the difficult ocean of Kali, which deteriorates all the good qualities of a human being and purport by His divine grace. The age of Kali is very dangerous for the human being. Human life is simply meant for self-realization. But due to this dangerous age, men have completely forgotten the aim of life. In this age, the lifespan will gradually dis- decrease. People will gradually lose their memory, their finer sentiments, their strength, and better qualities. A list of the anomalies for this age is given in the twelfth canto of this work. And so this age is very difficult for those who want to utilize this life for self-realization. The people are so busy with sense gratification that they completely forget about self-realization. Out of madness, they frankly say that there is no need for self-realization because they do not realize that this brief life is but a moment on our great journey towards self-realization. The whole system of education is geared to sense gratification. And if a learned man thinks it over... He sees that the children of this age are being intentionally sent to the slaughterhouses of so-called education. Learned men, therefore, must be cautious of this age. And if they at all want to cross over the dangerous ocean of Kali, they must follow the footsteps of the sages of Naimisharanya and accept Sutta Goswami, Sri Sutta Goswami, or his bona fide representative as the captain of the ship. The ship is the message of Lord Krishna in the shape of Bhagavad Gita or the Srimad Bhagavatam. End of purport. Omagyana timbinandasya gyananjana salakaya chaksurun malitam jena tasmai Sri gurave Sri Chaitanya Manobishtam Stavitam Jaina Bhutale Swayam Rupakada Maya Tarati Swabarantikam Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Dutta Padakamalam Sri Gurun Vaishnavamscha Sri Rupam Sagrajattam Sahagana Raghunatan Vitam Tam Sajivam Savadvaitam Savaduttam Padijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Sri Radha Krishna Padan Sahagana Lalita Sri Vishakanvitam Scha He Krishna Karana Sando Dinabando Jagatpate Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostute Taptakanjana Gaurangi Radhe Vrindavadeshwari Vrishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye Vanchakalpatarubhischa Kripasanubhi Evacha Patitanam Bhavanebhyo Vaishnavebhyo Namo Namah Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda 
ಶ್ರೀರ್ವೈತಗರಧಾನಶಿವಸರಿಗೌರವಾಕ್ತವೃಂದ ಹರೇ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಹರೇ ಕೃಷ್ಣ 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 ಹರೇ 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 ರಾಮ ಹರೇ ರಾಮ 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 ಹರಿ ಹರೇ ಗ್ರಂಥರ ಶ್ರೀಮಭಾಗವತ ಕೀ ಜಾಯ ನಾಮ ಓಂ ವಿಷ್ಣುಪದಾಯ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಪುಸ್ತಾಯ ಭೂತಲೇ ಶ್ರೀಮತೆ ತಮೋ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಗೌಸ್ವಾಮಿ ನಾಮನೇ So reading the text once again and we will see that um uh the person who is talking here is uh um Shan- uh, let's see what's it, what is his name Shanka Shanka Richard no anyhow he's the who's he's the person who is the spokesperson for all the sages gathered together in and uh at Naimishranya forest and he is speaking to Sri La- Sri Sutta Goswami who we remember is the son of the person who was the previous speaker until he was killed by Lord Balaram for not having shown proper respect to a person who was superior to him so this person Sutta Goswami has learned very well from others including his his great father um sometimes we we wonder why why would lord balaram kill this man who's been selected by the sages to speak to them at this gathering but we we know that lord balaram just like his brother lord krishna uh can see much farther down the road and can see much farther behind us into the past than we can see we can't see either actually can we we can't see what has happened in the past we're very lucky we can remember what we were doing uh five days ago and and so what what to speak of our past lifetimes we have no idea uh what sins we might have committed what good works pious works we've done in the previous lifetimes so anyhow this person sutta goswami is the is the one he is the son of uh, romaharshan uh uh i guess his name he's a swami um and and uh, although he was uh, he was a family man because he gave birth to this boy sutta but sri sutta goswami because of his gentle nature his submissiveness he has been given great knowledge so that he is the one who is capable of repeating the shrimad bhagavatam after her, having heard it from his spiritual mentor uh Sri Shukadev Goswami so we have a conversation now going on between uh um I wish I could remember the name of this person who is the spokesperson can you remember it person who is the spokesperson for the sages anyhow sorry about that uh but it's it's here in the first in the first canto of the first chapter of the Shrimad Bhagavatam so we could look it up later So I I want to talk a little bit about something that Shri Prabhupada has emphasized in his purport. Um and this is a topic that is very near and dear to a lot of us especially those of us who have children or who have had children and who may now be having grandchildren. And he uh Shri Prabhupada is stating 
that uh, the people are so busy with sense gratification, they completely forget about self-realization. And he goes on to say uh, that they, they, out of badness, they frankly say that there is no need for self-realization because they do not realize that this brief life is but a moment on our great journey towards self-realization. And then he begins to talk about what I'm going to speak about in, in, the, in our presentation today. Uh, the whole system of education, Prabhupada says, is geared to sense gratification. And if a learned man thinks it over, he sees that the children of this age are being intentionally sit to, sent to the slaughterhouses of so-called education. Learned men, therefore, must be cautious of this age, and if they, at, if they at all want to cross over the dangerous ocean of Kali, they must follow the footsteps of the sages of Naimisharanya and accept Srila Sutta Goswami or his bona fide representative as the captain of the ship. So Prabhupada is telling us something once again that's very difficult for many to accept. And that is even devotees. We're even talking about devotees living in this community. Sometimes they they think that there is something that is to be gained by sending their children to a school outside the school that has been established in this community uh, by the followers of Srila Prabhupada. Now, we have experience of, of the education system. And we know that there are a lot of very uh, qualified and and dedicated persons who are taking part as teachers and administrators of our school system, our public school system and our different private school systems that we have scattered throughout this country. <clears throat> but yet Prabhupada calls them slaughterhouses. And he says, anyone who sends his child to one of these educational institutions is intentionally sending their child to a slaughterhouse. Now, this is, this is going to rub some of, uh, some of the people who are listening today in the wrong way. Or it's going to rub them in a bad way. Something that will make them quite defensive and say, uh, no, there are good people out there. They're good teachers, good administrators, and there are good children who come to the schools. And not everything is bad. And that's true. That's true. So what makes them slaughterhouses? We can say then that there, there, there is, uh, that modern education is, is intended for helping or for forcing people to forget the main purpose of human life. That's why they're slaughterhouses. Because they they will guarantee uh, that a person will uh, come back and take his take take another birth in this material world, and if it continues with the same habits, the same foodstuffs, the same customs that uh, that his parents have had and his parents before them. In other words, if everything continues as it has in the past, then the, the, it's, he's destining his children than to come back and take birth again in this material world. And, we, you know, some people say, well, you know, that's not so bad. I've had a pretty good life. I've met a lot of nice people. I've got friends out there in this, in this world. And I, I've seen a lot of children who were very, very nice children that uh, were very highly qualified for the modern education system um, and so forth. But... Uh, what 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 is going on now is that uh, uh, the 
the system, the system itself of education is, is causing the children just as it caused the parents. It's, it's now causing the children to think that this life is the all in all. This life in the material world and the, the main purpose of life is, of, of schooling, of their education is to help them to get a good job when they get out of school or to go on to college and get a college degree and to then to get a good job. But in other words, the, the whole intent is to make a person qualified to earn money to satisfy his senses. And that's about it. And why do we say that that's the only goal in life? To satisfy the senses? Because that's all that many people know about this material world in which we're living. They think that this is it. This is, this is all there is. And once this life is over, as we, as we know it shall be, all we have to do is look what's, what's happened in the past. My grandparents have gone. My parents are getting very old or my parents have already left. And now here I am and I'm getting older and I know that sooner or later I have to leave. So if this life is all there is, then what's the use in learning anything besides how to make this life as comfortable and as pleasant as possible? So we teach our children then about using the resources of this material world. And that's really the main thrust of the educational system, and not only in this country, but in other countries throughout the world. And there's, there's got to be quite a lot of competition for getting into certain schools, I'm talking about even elementary schools, parents, in, as I understand it, in New York City, they have to really vie for a place for their children to go to uh, preschool and to elementary school so that they can get the best kind of education. And, you, and so uh, what, what we're doing then is the government is, is providing all of this, this educational uh, institution to help to uh, take care of the children. And, and so the parents then, not knowing any alternatives to the current system, they will try very hard to put their children into a type of school that will help them, uh, help their creativity and help them excel in their academic career. Even at, at a very early age, they do this. And, and, you know, sometimes it costs a lot of money. So just as it costs money to send the kids to school, so everything else is also costing money. And therefore, uh, there is both there, if there are two parents in the household, and that's getting to be, uh, less and less the, the case now as, as it used to be. But, uh, in, in the, in the, um, in the instance in which there are two wage earners in the household, Generally, both persons are gone during the day, and the child has to go somewhere. child cannot stay alone. So the government has built an institution of public education. And, and, and so whatever, whatever the politicians say are, are the most important things to learn, then that's what eventually trickles down and becomes the mandate for the educators. Even though they might have some other ideas about what should be taught, still they have to obey their authorities. Otherwise, they lose their jobs. And if they lose their jobs, then they lose the means of their sense gratification in this world. 
In other words, everybody has to work hard to try to provide not only the food and the clothing and the shelter that one needs, but all the other trappings that go with householder life in this day and age. And you, you, you will, if, if you listen to some parents, you will hear them talk about how much stress they feel because they're always having to do something to, to take care of their kids. As soon as the parents get off from work, sometimes they have to run, pick up their kids at school, and then take them to their next set of activities, which might be something, might be music lessons, it might be archery, it might be something else and that engages, or, or you know, going to take karate classes, going to the gym to learn how to be an athlete in that way. And so uh, the parents are, are under a lot of stress themselves. And then when somebody gets sick, uh, then that really throws a monkey wrench in the works. Because even if it's just one of the wage earners getting sick, uh, they might have to stay at home, and and then they uh, still have to see that the kids get the proper education. So it's it's a, it's a very difficult system. It's not it's not a a, a laid back comfortable system that used to be there many many years ago when we were mostly an agricultural society. And then in those times, then uh, both the husband and the wife had their had their different activities to perform. But one of the activities that had to be performed was to educate their kids. And sometimes a kid might have a fourth, fifth, sixth grade education. And so we would say today, how does anybody get by with so little education? But at that time, when we were mostly an agricultural society, the kids would would uh, take some schooling until they learned, you know, how to read, how to perform some simple mathematics, uh, how to and to learn about the government of the country, perhaps something like that, and and then they would spend the rest of their times either in playing around the household or when they got to be older in performing certain tasks that their parents had them to take up. So uh, in the present age now. The government has to step in and provide a system by which the children can be not only just taken care of because both parents are at work or the one single parent is at work, but they also have to make sure that the kid learns something that will help him get on to the next grade. And so all the way through high school and then uh, then a child has to compete go to college. So what we're doing is that we're guaranteeing an abundant supply of workers for commerce in our world. That's what the that's what the chief aim of any educational institution is to make sure that it's giving it's putting out into the marketplace uh, children that are educated enough that they can move into the kind of job that will earn a company more money for its bottom line. So we're preparing children then only for a life in an, in an industrial society. And anything else that parents want their children to learn, for example, if a, if a parent comes from a, uh, from a society in which there's a very strong religious tradition, then the parent should have to understand that I will have to see that my, my child gets some religious underpinnings for his life or her life. 
or either that, or I'll just let them go and let them determine for themselves what they want to do with their lives. I won't give them any training. I will just make it possible that they have access to all kinds of opportunities so they can sample this and sample that. And so that's the way kids come out. So we're having to live with a lot of distractions from the actual goal of life. Uh, we're spending one our entire lives, uh, practically the early part of our lives, anywhere from 12 to 20 years in school, learning to uh, perform some task out in the out in the workforce. And if, if we if we uh, somehow that don't want to go to college, and sometimes that we see that the kids will go into the military because they will learn some things there. They'll learn some discipline. They'll learn how to show respect to one's superiors. They might even learn some technical skills that they can take with them after they leave the military and go, go into private life. But one of the things that our children are having to live with now uh, after they finish their schooling is debt. Uh, and they, they, have, uh, they have spent... So many years going into debt for their college education that that some kids, when they get done with their bachelor's, master's, or doctoral programs, they may they may owe uh, uh, upward of a hundred thousand dollars. That's kind of hard to imagine because it hasn't been that long ago that even a house would not cost that much money. You know, a pretty decent house that you could live in without too much effort. Uh, would cost less than $100,000. And yet we see in our own community here that within the past 10 years, the prices have gone up enormously. And so they have for schooling as well. So not only do, do the children have debt for their schooling, but when they get out of school, they have to have some housing because they're generally expected to move out of the house of their parents. As a matter of fact, they may have to. They may have to move to some distant location because there's no work in their area for the type of education that they have. And so they, so they wind up uh, having to then go into debt for housing. Or, or maybe they'll just uh, find themselves a place to rent instead of having to come up with a big down payment for a house that they purchase, unless they've got somebody who is willing to do that for them. Then they even have to, people even have to go into debt for their transportation now. And whereas it used to be you could buy a decent vehicle practically for cash. I mean, when I got out of school, that you could buy a nice Ford or Chevrolet for less than $3,000, maybe $2,500. And if you wanted something a little bit fancier, then you're going up into the price a little bit. And you you might have to be in debt for uh, 24 months or 36 months. But nowadays, what is it? Nowadays, automobiles can easily cost... $25,000, $35,000, $45,000, $55,000 so that you're paying as much now for a vehicle just to drive yourself back and forth to work as people used to pay for a house to live in. And even before that, back in the 1950s, I I remember my my parents built a house, and I think I heard them say that the total they paid for the house was $10,000. So things have changed, and it has become increasingly difficult to get your schooling, to purchase housing, to purchase transportation, because it costs money. And the only way that most people can can get these things paid for is to go into debt. It means uh, as it, there used to be a song, it was called a dollar down and a dollar a week. 
you can find all the things you need for a dollar down and a dollar a week. And But now it's a bit more than that. So a person may, may pay as much as 50, 75% of his monthly income just to cover the bills that he has accrued during the previous several years. So then, uh, then what about the people who uh, are not able to find work? And there are a lot of kids getting out of, even out of college, that can't find suitable work, paying a suitable income, and being a type of work, dealing with the kind of people that they can tolerate. So uh, they, they may have to take a job that is way below their expectations. And we call it in this country poverty income. Because, you know, if you're working for the minimum wage, which was in the recent past $7.50 an hour or something like that, and some states are, are enacting laws by which they're raising that to $15 an hour, even that, uh, people are having to go to the government and ask for money in the form of food stamps or subsidized housing or something else. Because even with a college degree, they may look for a year two years or even longer trying to find a job without being able to do so. Now, this all sounds pretty negative, and, and uh, I, don't really, I don't really want this, this uh, uh, discourse to be felt to be entirely negative. Uh, what we are doing, what we've done so far during the first part of my, my lecture here is to uh, look at what has happened and what has brought us to this point that we're in as a society. And most people, take, you know, they blame the ills of our society on those least capable to pull themselves out of poverty or to do anything about their, their social standing. It's very difficult. If you don't have a, a, a job that pays your regular income, you can't afford to, uh, to buy a decent house or have a decent apartment to rent. You can't afford to have a decent uh, piece of transportation. And, and so uh, the, the society then, the government, usually has to come in and offer some help. In other words, what it's actually doing, instead of just helping poor people, we find that the government is actually subsidizing the wages that companies are paying to people because the, the companies find that they can hire people for less than it costs for the people to live. And so the people then go to the government asking for money to help. But now we can learn to survive without industry. And for those of us especially who are coming up now and, and raising children, and we have a lot of, lot of young people in our community here who are, are still in the process of raising children. And, and so, uh, what, what are they going to, what are they going to teach their kids, uh, about surviving in this industrial, commercial, militaristic society that we're living in, um, especially if the kid doesn't have some kind of a big education or doesn't, or the family doesn't have political connections to help the kid get the job. So things that we have to teach the kids ourselves because they're not being taught in school, and that is that one should live where water is abundant and where the soil is good. Because if you have these two elements, if you have clear, clean water and a good supply of it, and if you have, you know, decent soil 
uh, then you can generally grow whatever is needed for you. Now, why do we even think about that? Because right now, so many people are just thinking about getting their kids out of college and getting them started into a job. They could care less uh, whether there is clean water available to people in general, because we have, you know, we have uh, community or civil water systems now, which uh, which will, you know, they make provisions for catching the rainwater and storing them in lakes, and then pumping them to a, a place where the water is is chlorinated and fluoridated, and it's it's not very nice water because there's all kinds of things that come into the water, which is called surface water. And and we're talking about uh, the the waste from industry, the waste from households, um, uh, the waste from animals that live out on the land. And these these uh, these waste products are finding their way into the water system. So just to have clean water is almost like a luxury. And there's there's one man who I believe was the president of the Nesbit Corporation. Uh, who who uh, prides himself in providing bottled water? Uh, he says that uh, water is not a right; it's a privilege. <laughs> so that which we've taken for granted for decades and and centuries—that uh, is, that everybody has the right to have uh, access to clean water. Uh, this man is saying, "Well, you can have clean water, but you have to pay for it." And we see that that's really true, especially in the cities, um, that out in the country, there may be a well, there may be a stream, there may be some means of, of having one's own water supply. But now with the things that, uh, they, with the, things that the, the um, industries are doing to the land out there in order to extract minerals from the earth, to extract uh, um, uh, petroleum, and and a natural gas to extract those you know they're they're having to change the way the the earth is being considered and some people consider the earth just to be a dead thing and it ju- it just has minerals that we need to get at in order to make our lives better through industry and so uh what I, it's very difficult for us to even help our kids under to imagine being able to go out to a stream and drink water directly from that stream. It's hard to imagine that. And that is that's still going on in certain places throughout the world now. But it's becoming less and less possible because there's so many poisons that are coming, that are going into the atmosphere from uh, from uh, you know coal fired fossil fired plants fossil fuel plants stuff that's going to the atmosphere and there there's particles and there are gases and when they combine with the water that's in the air and they they come down to the earth in the form of rain sometimes it's uh, the rain is slightly acidic and it can change the nature of the streams it can change the nature of the lakes and the oceans even so that uh, it, it makes it uh, much more difficult for, for life as we've known it in the past to exist. So then there's the process of growing one's own food that can be taught to our children. Now, we don't generally have, a, you know, en- enough land uh, in the city uh, to, to have a garden or have a big garden. But we, we do have a community garden here, 
And we have a person who is very knowledgeable, and I understand that Shalagram Prabhu has been helping uh, teaching, teaching classes in our Gurukula, our little community school, um, teaching classes on raising one's own food, takes the children over to our community garden, which is within this block, and, and showing them how it take, how it, what is required to prepare the soil, things that need to be added to the soil, water that needs to be used to help plants grow. He's teaching them about how to grow their own food. And this is not generally being done in any of the public schools or any private schools that I'm aware of. They still, they seem, seem to have the emphasis on science and technology, mathematics, that's what kids really need to learn. And if we have to cut programs in order to fund those programs, uh, well, so be it. We'll just do that. We'll take away the arts if we need to. We'll take away uh, the uh, girls' athletics if we need to. Because in the past, girls have not had too much athletic programs in schools. It's been mainly the boys. And it's been mainly for football games that will make the alumni of the school want to come and support the school and actually give money to the school. So growing one's own food, is that's one of those things that can be taught, but it just takes focus and concentration on a way to make that happen. How about building one's own shelter from whatever materials are locally available? How are you going to do that? Well, we're not even talking about doing things like that in the city because generally those things are not very practical unless you have lots of money and you can hire the kinds of craftsmen that are necessary to build out of things like stone or or even to build out of wood. That requires somebody that has some skills because they have to know how to measure and cut and put things together. Uh, So... Uh, our kids will then, they, instead of going out and building their own first house, they, they go into debt and they, and they buy it. And it may not be a very nice house and they may spend the next several years making improvements to it, as much as we've done here in this community in old East Dallas. Uh, that, uh, when we moved in here in the 1970s, night, late 1970s, and started buying houses in this area, we find we found that they were very much run down. They had poor foundations, and the soil is not a good type of soil to build on. But now these are these are the kinds of things that are not being taught so much in schools. Maybe there you can find some schools that have a carpentry course. But generally speaking, anybody that wants to learn carpentry had better just go out and find himself a person who is a good carpenter and apprentice himself there, or a, a union. A, there may be a labor union that is for the, those persons who build houses. So growing one's own food, building one's own shelter, make, how about making one's own clothing? Do we have the ingredients to do that? How can they, can they be raised on the land if a person has a piece of land? And the, the answer is generally yes. Uh, it's it's not impossible to grow cotton, and and lots of our clothes are made of cotton, and and uh, and also it's not that hard to uh, to raise a, a, an animal like sheep, who who don't have to be killed. Uh, they they can they can just they can have their their uh, fur shorn off of them, cut off of them. Uh, each year, right at the beginning of the warm weather, 
And by the time then fall comes and the weather begins to get cool, the sheep is already beginning to grow back his his supply of wool for the winter. So those, that can be done. Uh, what what about uh, living out on the land and not having to use gasoline powered equipment? What are you going to do? Are you just going to get some hand tools and and do it like that? Henry David Thoreau did that, but he didn't he didn't stay with it too long. But he showed that it could be done just by using some of very simple hand tools. One can grow a, a pretty sizable garden, but if one wants to earn uh, earn, earn his livelihood on the land, he might have to get some draft animals in the form of mules or horses or even oxen. And oxen especially can be grown. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, some, some people have said recently, I've heard it said, that in the past, uh, the purpose of raising cows was not to get milk. That was not the ultimate purpose. Milk just came as a byproduct. But the main purpose of raising cows was to keep a supply of animals to work with. And an oxen can, can pull a very heavy load. An ox can pull a very heavy load. And if you get a team of two or four oxen, they can do a lot of the work that is typically done in a farming type environment. And so, um, there are advantages to having a piece of land out in the country and learning to live somewhat self-sufficiently. And one of those uh, benefits is that we have time and peacefulness uh, for our spiritual practices out in the country. Whereas in the city, uh, working at a, at a factory job, having kids that need to go to different kinds of activities all during the day, uh, if we find it very difficult to have time for ourselves to work on our own spiritual lives. And in this, in this uh, text that we read today, or in the purport, Srila Prabhupada says that modern man has forgotten what is the goal of life. And if he, if he doesn't know himself, then how is he going to teach his children what is the goal of life? So all of the things we've been talking about today are, are reasons then for um, establishing a, a self-sufficient rural community. And it just seems now, right now, as though that's an impossibility. Because everybody that we know is having to work hard just to pay for his basic needs, you know, pay for housing, food, shelter, um, clothing and things like that for the kids. And then when the kids get in school, then so many other expenses come if, if there's athletic programs or different kind of programs that require a family then to put out more money. And so we have to then, if, if we can't do those things now, we have to try to envision being, uh, becoming very satisfied with a very simple lifestyle. Because if we don't even envision it, then there's not much likelihood that someone is actually going to make the effort to try to get something like that started. So we're talking about a self-sufficient rural community. We don't have it now. And it seems like an impossibility that we will ever have it. We're here in the city, and we're having to pay for the things in the city which are not cheap. And so it's very difficult then for us to put aside the kind of money that is required for buying a large enough piece of land out in the country in which a, we can, we can even have one house 
with enough land to grow a garden and such. Even that is difficult. And then if a person lives at some distance from the city, then there's the transportation that has to be considered also. So um, what do we do? We, we, have a, we have a situation here that seems as though it has no possible solution. We have to look around us and see if there's anybody else in our International Society for Krishna Consciousness who are actually uh, maintaining a farm and making it productive and, and showing how people can live out in a farming environment without having to go to a job in the cities every day. There are places that that is being done, but it's very difficult to get started because most people have gotten very used to a very, a very comfortable lifestyle, and therefore they have to work hard and earn money to pay for that. But I'm thinking now we've got, we've got a farm in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That's uh, uh, Gita Nagari. We've got the farm that was begun many years ago up in the hills of, of West Virginia, and that's our New Brindaban community. We have a farm down in uh, uh, Mississippi, in the lower part of Mississippi, called New Taliban. And we've got the uh, kind of a farming community. It's more like a, a, a suburban rural community in Alachua uh, in Florida. So we've got these places, but we don't see anyone yet who has found a way to, uh, uh, to attract persons with families, uh, and persons who, who have expenses to deal with, um, very hard to earn a lot of money when one is when is one is doing farming, unless you do it on the scale of thousands of acres and hundreds of thousands of dollars invested in machinery to work that land, and that's how it's done now. That's called industrial farming, or or agribiz. And so that's that's the way it's being done in this country, and it's probably I'm guessing that it's probably being du- duplicated in other countries as well. That there are no longer uh, so many small farmers who have 20 acres, 40 acres of land, who are able to support themselves and their families, make a decent livelihood. We don't see that so much anymore. Even in rural Mississippi, where my wife and I grew up, we saw that even in the 1950s the farm labor was moving away. And usually that was African-American families and the young boys and girls in the African-American families could see that there was no future in Mississippi and and working for somebody else on a farm. Because at the time that I was a young boy, uh, young young men, young African-American men were making maybe $3 a day, working eight, 10 hours a day. And so when, when the jobs became plentiful up in the northern part of our, northeastern part of our country, in Detroit, Chicago, and New York, then that's where the young people, uh, young African American people were inclined to go. And, and so that left all the farmers around with either having to expand their farms and sizes and buy lots of big equipment or simply retire and get out of the farming business and sell their land to be used to plant trees, which are going to be cut down in 20 years and used in the, in the uh, timber industry. So these are the kinds of concerns that we have with trying to educate our kids. We have to know what the goal is. What, what is it? In other words, to determine a curriculum for any school, 
there has to be somebody to determine what is it that we want to prepare our kids for. Are we want, do we want them to to uh, be like the like, you know like the villages in in Africa and India and other places where people like Bill Gates have gone in and and he's trying to trying to institute it that every child can have a computer, but if we give them a modern education, then we're going to say for what? What is that education for? What can they do with it? Can they go out and survive on the land? Not likely. Not the way it's been taught nowadays. And if we teach all these children in third, so-called third world countries, if we give them a, a great technological education and, and make it possible for the best ones among them to go to college, then where, where, where are they going to work? It depends on what's going on in the cities, doesn't it? Because generally you don't find work available so much out in the countries where, in, in the country, where where people uh, could could make up you know make a fairly substantial living working the land. So anyhow, this is a decision that that has to be made throughout our international society for Krishna consciousness, whether we're going to continue supporting the norm, which means supporting the industrial military complex, which we call America the Beautiful, or whether we're going to try to uh, make plans now, as as uh, for example, uh, His Holiness Radhanath Swami Maharaj has instituted an eco village, uh, which is in in the western part of of India, and it's it's received quite a bit of acclaim and acclaim internationally. So we we can we can do that if we can if we can have the leadership to bring people together who have the financial means. And those that have the vision to see what a what a rural farming community can be, and that we will on that note we will end for now, and ask if there is any questions here directly in our temple room. I wish we could get questions from those of you who are listening in online. I'm sure they would be very enlivening, and we could probably stay here all day speaking about them. But Prabhu, you want to say something? Thank you, Prabhu. That was a nice lecture description of um, how to live in, how people live in the city and how people can live in rural communities. And um, definitely, like projects such as um, the one that Radnath Marge established, they are coming up and they are actually a very nice community there and self sufficient. I've uh, been there a few times. Um, I do have a question for. I mean, we have devo- many, many people and devotees who are living in the city, and at the same time, they're in a way stuck in this loop of the description you just gave. And um, I believe that there's there's a saying, "Utility is a principle." I believe Chila Prabhupada said that. And um, so, how can we, in a sense, make good use of a bad, bad bargain? I mean, this is. This description is not good at all. I mean, we're just working every day, single, and just paying our debts. And um, but how can we make uh, make this situation in a way more Krishna conscious? There, there have to be persons who have the vision of what could be, what a, a village could be, what it could become, and who are willing to give up 
some of the luxuries uh, of the city in order to be able to live out there. Uh, because if you just have people just starting a weekend project, that's a beginning, and that will get people out there. I'm thinking that if we had land on which we could build simple shelters, simple, simple uh, housing, that uh, some people would, would be very happy to go out and spend a weekend every now and then, and, and maybe in the summertime spend a few weeks out there instead of taking uh, taking a cruise cruise ship somewhere or instead of going to Cancun in Mexico where you can eat well and and maybe get alcohol poisoning as many people are getting nowadays it seems in other countries uh, by by drinking alcohol and the alcohol is tainted with something and and they're giving up their lives because of it so uh, how how to make it happen now uh, there has to be more than one person to do it, generally speaking, unless that one person has a very good supply of money, wealth. You know, a person like Ambarish Prabhu would have no problem at all uh, uh, establishing a, a, a rural farm community. But right now he's spending all of his efforts and a lot of his own personal money uh, building the Temple of the Vedic Planetarium. Which is a good thing because when you have something like that, you can attract Westerners to come and see and maybe to listen to philosophy and understand things about their lives that they didn't know before. For example, you're going to have to give up your body sooner or later. But it's not you that's having to die. It's your body that's just running out of, 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 of energy. And, and so you have to, you have to give it up. And so, uh, education is probably the, the the best tool that we have for changing people from their way of thinking now into into a way of thinking that will allow them to have the vision of what a rural community could be. And so, I'd say the most important thing right now that ISKCON has to give the whole world is ed- proper education. Because if people don't even know who they are, if they think they're the body and they don't know that they're the spirit soul living in inside that body, then it's very hard to build on that. It's like just building on an argument that has a very weak foundation. And and if you don't if you don't have a solid foundation for an argument, regardless of how skillful you argue at your and make your points. Because your foundation is not firm, then the argument itself is is not of much value. Nityananda Prabhu. Here, take microphone, please. This is a question that's exercising the minds of the leaders of the movement right now. Because let's, uh, let's just talk about many things where we're going to talk about the sustainability of our movement. Uh, the farm is, well, farming aspect is one of that. The deity worship is another. Sankirtan is another. Food distribution. There are many different aspects. Education. You know, these are all very important aspects of our movement. What sustains us into the future? And so, one of the realizations that well, we are coming to, uh, which I think is a very helpful realization, is that if we read Srila Prabhupada's books, then in the books, Prabhupada makes many suggestions of what can be done. And if we just pick up, each of us can pick up something simple that we pick up from the books. 
and then start it. Like just say, for example, we want to do the farm, right? We want to create a whole farming arrangement. Then at least let's start in the, because people are living in the urban area right now, they're not living on the farms. They're living in the urban area. So you really got to start in the urban area to get to the farm, you know? So in the urban area, we can at least talk about community gardens. We can talk about having a garden in your own house. You can grow things, you know, in your own backyard. Uh, start like that and start a movement. You really start a movement on that basis. And just like uh, Rupanuga Prabhu was saying, one very important part of it is the education part of it, right? In anything we do, couple it with the knowledge. Because when you couple it with the knowledge, the knowledge is what's going to sustain it into the future, you know? But the thing that we as a movement right now are guilty of, one thing that we are guilty of is lack of execution, you know? We don't do things. We have many good ideas, but we don't execute the idea. We don't plug in by doing something small that's a baby step that will lead us to the bigger steps later. You see what I'm saying? A baby does not become a Olympic mile winner when she, when the baby is born. When the baby is born, it learns first to you know stand up, to crawl, to sit up. I mean, these are very basic functions. Nobody thinks about these things as important, but they're extremely important to win the Olympic mile later. You see what I'm saying? And so I'm using the Olympic mile because just is something that everybody understands. Well, you can call it anything you want, brain surgery, whatever you want to call it, becoming a devotee, whatever else we want to call it. So these baby steps are what we really need to start taking individually. And I think we've got to stop thinking somebody else is going to do this. It's you got to, We've got to think, I have to do this. Each and every one of us has to take responsibility and say, okay, I can start something small. And that something small will lead to something bigger and something bigger and something bigger. And over a period of time, many, many wonderful things will happen, you know, like that. I think the movement has done very well up till now, doing what it has done. But the question of sustainability into the future requires more things to happen. And particularly the most important thing that has to happen is a shift away from temple-centered programs to devotee-centered programs. You know, each devotee... Like Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur said that he would gladly sell all his 64 temples to make one devotee. I mean, that tells us the value of the devotee. The devotee is worth more than the temple, you know. And so what do we do now that we enthuse each other in whatever we want to do? Not feel envious. So-and-so is doing something, you know, and you sort of like, don't feel good about it because I'm not doing it. That person's doing it. They're getting the credit. They're getting, uh, you know, accolades or whatever else they might be getting. But we forget what the, devotee, the difficulties the devotee has to go through to set that up. You know what I mean? To make things happen. It's very hard to make anything happen in this world. Because the whole world runs counter. You know, the education system, everything's running the opposite way. And we're sort of running the other way. And so we got this huge, you know, rush of people against us. And we're trying to run the other way. And we're getting crushed in the process, you know. So the thing to do is really this idea of let's do something, uh, something small. And if you can, if you can enthuse somebody else to do it with you, that's ideal. If we can work in pairs like that, you know, two people, because then you enthuse each other like that. If you can find some, but if you can't find somebody, at least just get started. And then sooner or later you'll find somebody who'll say, yeah, I'd like to do this too. And then, you know, you become two people, then three and then four and then five. And you know, it goes on. Prabhupada uses this word. I was looking for it the other day in the, in the class that I was giving. And he, he calls it organized effort. Make organized effort. So, you know, whatever effort, make a little, little organized. Make it a little organized. And it's an effort, and it's organized, and you will see that Krishna will grow it to a very large extent. Because really, it's Krishna who is the real doer in the end. We're like the instruments, really. 
So if we do those small things, I think, you know, and I think this class should be heard by people. Because, you know, what you spoke about today is very, very central to the problems of this world today. That the world is actually listening to the wrong people, getting the wrong information, getting the wrong education. And consequently, the world is going to where it's going. It's very obvious. It's not like our technology has a problem. We have fantastic technology. But why is the world suffering with that technology? It's because the knowledge coupled with that technology is defective. The technology is fine, but the knowledge coupled with it is defective. And so the results are defective. It's always the knowledge, you know. You look at chapter 4 of Bhagavad Gita, it's knowledge, right? Transcendental knowledge. So that's basically, you know, one thing that in the leadership these talks are going on. And individually we're being told, don't wait for the leaders because the leaders are busy. they got other things to do as well. Let's all become leaders. <laughs> Lord Chaitanya's uh, instruction was... Uh, Everybody must become a leader and push this uh, knowledge, you know. Prabhupada said, uh, in the first purpose of his con, says systematic uh, propagation, right? Uh, systematic dissemination of knowledge, you know, like that. So that's basically, you know, that's something that's being spoken of. And I think the more we speak about it, because it starts with thinking, then feeling then willing, you know, it's like Mother Gopi Gita gave class on Sunday and she was talking about that. That, you know, it's like, so at least let's talk about it. Because once you start talking about it, we'll start doing something about it. But the important aspect is to plug in and do it, you know. I remember once uh, Keshav Bharti Maharaj was here and he was saying, the biggest problem is you guys are not plugging in. Plug in. <laughs> that means start doing it, you know what I mean? Talking about it is great, but doing it is better. And even if it's not very good, you won't do very well in the beginning, that's okay. Prabhupada didn't do very well in the beginning, you know. But look at now, what's happening. He didn't give up, he kept going, going, going. And the result is, um, you know, speaks for itself like that. But thank you, I'm so happy you spoke what you said in the class today. I think these are very essential truths that need to be propagated because somehow our devotees are thinking that actually Harvard is great and we really need to send our children to Harvard and to Yale and to Stanford and these universities are nothing but frauds. And I know people will say to me, how can you even say that? But the fact is, none of these universities promote the spirit. They all promote how you can enjoy your material life and actually send people into more and more material depths, you know, instead of liberating them and bringing them out. So really, I think our, our devotees have to be the first to understand that schools like TKG Academy are actually the ideal place to send the children, you know, because there they're given some spiritual uh, inspiration. And that spiritual inspiration will give them more material results as well. It's going to be proved. It's already been proved. In the past, if you think about the wealthiest people in creation, the greatest people in creation in any form, whether it's politics, it's uh, law, it's uh, you know medicine, it's money, it's fame, it's anything, they've all been Vaishnavas. Every last of them was a Vaishnava. And those that were not, they were like temporary uh, names, and then they were forgotten. They were like shooting stars, you know. But permanently wealthy, permanently knowledgeable, permanently everything are Vaishnavas. So we really need to promote this idea of promoting our own programs, you know. All, all societies do that. They promote their own programs. They buy from each other, they sell to one another, they do that. And Hare Krishnas are like all over the map. But we need to get a little better organized in that way, you know. Then it will really work. But thank you. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much, Nityananda Prabhu. Any other comment before we go? Question? 
suppose simple living, high thinking. Yeah, that's simple the way to living, go. Simple living, high thinking. Very easy to do. Yeah, and and um, uh, I, I'll just make one more comment, and that is that uh, I've I've taught uh, a speech class in college, and I remember one of the um, suggestions that has been made in the literatures for a person who wants to become a speaker is to uh, envision himself as standing in front of a group of people and giving a, a very powerful uh, a bit of information to the people in a certain way that is successful, so that he feels successful. And so the suggestion is that you have the vision of yourself getting up and becoming successful as a speaker in front of other people. So that kind of envisioning, I think, also can extend to other uh, areas of of effort that people will expend uh, trying to become successful in other in other ways. So I think we in our in our spiritual lives we have to do that too. We have to envision the time when when we will become successful. We can we can do all of the things that have been prescribed for us. And 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 uh, and uh, with without a lot of distraction from the material stuff going on around us. So we any time that you have want to accomplish something, you really have to have a vision of what it's like when that thing is done. Just like Shila Prabhupada was sitting on the park bench, you know, in New York or Boston, New York, I think, and and uh, and describing to uh, some lucky fellow who happened to come by about all the temples that are that we have in in our international society knowing that they weren't present at that moment in time but they were going to become present Prabhupada had that kind of vision and so he was able to give that vision to his disciples so hopefully some of us can also have that kind of vision that we can use to inspire other people to get something done such as we're talking about here so with this, we'll end. And thank we, we thank everyone who is listening in online, listening in by radio or even by telephone. Those of you who are listening in to the archived version of this class, we appreciate your giving attention and that you're spending part of your day listening to philosophy because that's the kind of thing that can help us then in making our spiritual progress. So we offer our respectful obeisances and advice unto all the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord who are just like desire trees, who fulfill the desires of everyone, and who are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Vanchakalpatarubhischa kripas nivyevacha patidhanam bhavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo nama anantakoti vaishnavrinda ki jai. Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai. Sri Sri Vada Kalachanjidam ki jai. Gaurapremanand. Haribo.